This episode is brought to you by our business partner, Access Bank Texas. If you want to learn more about becoming a business partner, go to servedenton.org slash business. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Serve Denton Weekly, a podcast where every week we talk with local leaders who are on the front lines of solving some of Denton's most pressing issues. I'm your host, Ian Harbour, and I don't think it's any secret that one of the biggest issues in our community is homelessness. I, I personally think it's the most visible issue in our community that the most people know about. We see people on the streets all the time, and we just want to know how can we help? Who is helping them? What can we do to help them find a place where they can stay and call their own? And that's exactly what the HOT team does. The HOT team stands for the Homeless Outreach Team. And today I'm talking with Wendy Noble, who is their street outreach specialist. I learned a lot in this conversation. We spend the first few minutes talking about her story, which is unique to maybe some other people who are doing this kind of work. And I hope you find that as interesting as I did too. So without any further ado, let's hop into this conversation with Wendy Noble from the HOT team. Enjoy. Wendy, thank you so much for coming on the Served It In Weekly podcast. So you are on the street outreach team for the HOT team, but you have kind of a unique story that got you to where you are today. Can you tell us just sort of your background, your story of how you ended up being on the front lines of helping the homeless in our community. What I um, bring to the table is about 17 years worth of um, homelessness and um, struggling with uh, severe drug addiction, prostitution, criminal behavior, uh, and some mental illness. Um, so you can imagine that was a perfect storm. Um, for for the situation that I found myself in, and as I as I dove deeper and deeper into homelessness and all those things, as I mentioned, uh, I found it harder and harder to get out. So the it's like the mud became thicker, and um, the will to the will to want. Um, to get out became less. So that that is something I know that our, our people deal with, especially those that have been dealing with chronic homelessness, is they lose hope and, and they kind of forget about those things that they were so used to um, in their lives before homelessness happened. So. Mm, man, that's, that's tough. And being so up close to, I mean, having experienced that yourself, you you know what these people are going through how have how have what you've been through impacted what you do? I mean, because obviously you experienced that yourself, and now you're you're helping those people who experience that. How how has that impacted uh, your decision to to do what you do today? <clears throat> well, I mean, there's there's some selfish reasons <laughs> as well <laughs> as um, other reasons. I'll start off with selfishly. Um, being able to give back somehow makes the 17 years not have been for nothing. Does that mm -hmm. make sense? Mm -hmm. um, being able to use my experience for good to help someone else helps me to be able to accept 
the years that sometimes my brain wants to say were wasted. But if I'm using all those hardships and the tools that I learned uh, to get out of that mud, I like to think of it as the miry pit. Um, um, then, then that somehow makes it worth it. So I, that's how I use it. Now, you know, um, it's just some. So as you're when you're experiencing homelessness, you you have to learn different survival techniques um, and methods and ways to cope. So um, it's not something you ever forget. And in getting out of homelessness, you kind of have to redirect those same survival techniques towards surviving then again back in society. And so I, I was taught that when I went to prison about how to use that same mentality that I used to get my dope uh, to build my life back up. And that's, mm-hmm. that's something that um, I... I want every one of these people to be able to have. Now, not everyone deals with addiction, but they all deal with the, the, the trauma from being homeless, not having a bed to sleep in, not knowing where you're going to go to the bathroom, not knowing where you're going to be in the rain and the cold and the heat, um, not being able to control very much of your own situation. So not knowing when you're going to get food. So, so that's how I use it to help other people. Mm, that's, that's fascinating. And, you know, I don't think anything you said is selfish at all. I think that's perfectly normal for when we go through hard times, being able to look at that and, and have a sense of feeling like what you said, like that wasn't wasted time. Like, like something was happening to us in, a, in that time that can be used for others. You know what I mean? That can be used for good and, and all of the, the pain that we experienced. And so I, I think it's incredible what you're doing. And, and I think, I think having, Someone like you who has been through that on a team that's helping reach these people is really an invaluable resource because, you know, uh, people like me can can look at people who are homeless and, you know, kind of guess <laughs> at what, you know, they need or, or how to help. But, you know, because you've experienced it yourself. And, and I think that's incredible. And I want to shift to the HOT team. So HOT team stands for the Homeless Outreach Team. I love the acronym, the HOT team. Tell me just sort of what you do, obviously outreach, um, but what does that look like? Tell us about the HOT team. So, okay. So the HOT team started in 2016, 2017. Um, We were doing doing outreach around Denton um, in, in the way of, we were handing out socks and underwear and, and, and toothbrushes at Emily Fowler Park. Um, and we weren't really, really getting into the heart of it. But in order to be able to do that, we needed, number one, intel, right? Because the people experiencing homelessness aren't going to tell you where they are um, mm. n- normally. And so, uh, but we also needed protection because we didn't wanna go down there alone. So it only made sense to collaborate with police. But then when you do that, then you got a whole new thing that you open up because, well, you know, they're not gonna appreciate you bringing the police. So how do we build rapport Mm. with these clients and bring the police to their home at the same time? Like, how do we do that? So we just, we had the Denton police pick two officers that they just wanted to help. And so um, having that 
mind frame going into it, we just started digging away and they would show us where encampments were and we would come and we would introduce ourselves and they would make it clear that they were only there to just bring us down there and we were only there to help. And over the years, when they see us coming, they already know. Webb and Butler, they're just here to help, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's done a couple of things. It's allowed us to be able to go where they're at. Um, and it's also allowed them to build up a new type of relationship and thought process for police officers. Because with homelessness comes lots of criminal activity. It's that survival technique and stuff that I was talking about. And so, you know, they're going to be coming up against the law because they're trying to survive. And so they're going to have these interactions with police that may be negative um, because mostly because of their own doing. But, you know, um, so it's allowed us to be able to rebuild that type of relationship and then also build relationship and in hopes that maybe we can reach reach them at some point and get them to want to access services, meaning get them to want to come in side from the rain um, through just going back and going back and going back and going back um, and however long it takes. So that's been the neat uh, thing about hot team is being able to somehow make that happen. And it's worked. It worked. Uh, it worked. So Mm. And I think that's crucial to be able to, like you said, uh, rebuild that trust and those relationships between, you know, the police and the community, especially the these homeless people who um, understandably would maybe be afraid of, of them coming in and not knowing what that's going to end up like for them. But these cops who are there to say with with you guys saying we're here to help. We don't you know, we don't want to make this worse for you. We want to make it better for you. And I, I think that's crucial. Something I've been curious about myself I'm not sure if people understand either. I, I definitely don't is how do you assess who to help uh, when you encounter people on the streets? Is it as simple as you are homeless on the street? We're going to help you. Or is there a little bit more of an assessment that goes into it? So, yeah. So anyone that's experiencing what, what um, the city or even the government HUD, all these grants, considered to be literally or chronically homeless, meaning they're a person that's living in a place that's not meant for human habitation. Because um, there's different levels according to grants and things, but anyone is someone that I can reach out to and touch. Um, so first of all, you're right. Just the fact that makes them, that they're homeless makes them eligible to receive our services. And that's, that's cool. There's, there's simply no other reason. And the same goes for housing. So uh, everybody deserves a place to live, right? Everybody deserves mm -hmm. a home. And But the other tool that we use is called the VSVDAT or the FVSVDAT. VSVDAT is a vulnerability uh, assessment tool that sort of asks a bunch of questions created around barriers they may be facing. And it kind of shoots out a recommendation for the type of housing that, that may best fit their needs. And here in Denton, we have, we have either no housing intervention is needed, right? Meaning you can kind of self-resolve. Or we have rapid rehousing, which is we just 
housing first. We rapidly rehouse you. We give you three to six months worth of assistance. And from there, you should be able to self-resolve and be sufficient. Um, and then there's permanent supportive housing. And that's more longer term, people with disabilities, people that have been homeless like I was for 17 years, um, you know, chronic homelessness, whatever is going on with them, it's hard for them to kind of just sort of ease back into working and keeping up with your bills. So that's longer term. So that's what the, the VSPDAP does. And it so with that recommendation, it also places them on a housing priority list that we can all see uh, throughout all the different agencies. And then we meet on that um, every week on Monday and discuss where's this client, what is what are the barriers this client, you know, and then assign them case managers and street outreach goes out and tries to find them. Now they can stay on that list forever until they get housed. So they never come off until they get housed. So that's the neat thing. So, mm. so when you uh, come across these people who are on the streets and are working with them to get them on that list to build those relationships, what are what actions do you take uh, to to interact with them? Because I know um, that can kind of be a interesting thing for some people who are wanting to help homeless people, and they might have the best intentions, uh, but may not know exactly the right things to do. So what are some of the ways that you interact with them when you meet them? Um, so I have all different kinds of methods. Um, sometimes I'll take myself back to what I like to call street mode. And um, I might throw a few cuss words out there just to kind of um, let them know that I'm I'm just, I'm, I, I am they, <laughs> mm -hmm. I was, I was, you know, sometimes I use my story, but sometimes it's not appropriate. It just depends on the situation. You know, sometimes I'll try to be funny or, or, you know, make a joke. It, it really just depends on, and sometimes I leave them alone. It just depends on how I feel at the time. They may be kind of saying with their body language or, or, or whatever that they want to be left alone. They're not really up for a conversation. And I'll just tell them, hey, um, here's my card if you want to reach out, but I'll be back. Um, but can I get your name? Because I'd like to know that you're here and that you exist. And if something happens to you, I want to be able to say, hey, yeah, I know. And they'll always, when I say it to them like that, they always give me their name because yeah, it's important that we know that you're here that you're here in our county and you're, you're without a home. I need to, and so that kind of starts off the whole, and I, I try to always let them know that, that I care, you know, and sometimes their walk out of homelessness is so plagued with tasks. And I understand that, um, that I tell him, you know, I don't, I don't know the solution, but we'll figure it out together. Like, I may not know, but we'll figure it out. I, I know this, it can, it can be done. And so sometimes I think when you don't try to sell them a big piece of oceanfront property in Arizona and you just tell them, hey, we're gonna do this together, it's a little bit more real and on their level. So I don't know if that answers your question, but it's, um, I think, 
and I'll say this, it's God inspired. Um, Cause I, I don't think it's ever the same with any one person. I just try to get on their level. Yeah. I mean, I think there's something really powerful about just letting them know, Hey, we just want to know that you're here, that you exist. And, and that I can see how that would really, you know, someone who might be, might have their guard up, might have some walls up, really start to open up after that, because it might have been a long time if ever that someone had said that to them, you know, and, and also being able to just say, Hey, I'm here. We're going to take this one step at a time. We're going to figure it out. And it's not this huge dream that feels unrealistic. It just feels like the next step, you know, and that's, I can see why that would be really effective. Tell me sort of about, um, once the hot team makes a connection with somebody, you know, there's getting them on that list to help them find housing. Does the hot team provide any programs for them or um, is it more of we're going to help you get connected to these other programs that are going to help you and referring them out to others? What is that interaction like once that connection has been made and they're on that housing list? So um, depending on whether or not we could, so people move their camps all the time for different various reasons. Um, um, they may not want us to find them again. And, you know, because they're, they're doing stuff that that isn't totally legal um, or just because they want to be left alone or, you know, but um, we don't have any programs as of yet. We're trying to get some, but what we do have is some grant money and some grants that allow us to do some really important things on the front end, like helping them get their IDs. So identifying what is it that you have? What is it that you don't have? We have a workaround with the DPS. Um, thanks to United Way, they made a call and they set this up. So now that someone, if someone's experiencing homelessness in Denton County, um, they don't necessarily have to wait or make all these unnecessary trips up there to find out exactly what the documents are we can we can send an email to a certain contact there and she will send it back a response in like either that day or the next saying yeah we've got a birth certificate on file for this person but they still need a form of this and a form of this so we know exactly what to tell them they need and then we can we can help them to get there and we can help them with the cost of what that is and that's major because I can tell you, I, I walked around for all those years without any identification. Uh, and you can't do anything without your ID. You can't rent a room. You can't, so you can't get a job. So even if you did want to climb out of that mud, you would be facing a lot of stuff. And then sometimes people have tickets that they haven't paid and that's why they can't, you know, so, or they have all that. And it's just so much that they just bury their head in the mud even further. So it's just, uh, we're able to do that. Um, the officers are able to help people sometimes when they do have those tickets um, to point them in the direction to where they can get those tickets resolved without actually having to go back to jail or they can turn themselves in go sit out the tickets and get that off so it's it's however we do it there's a way um i think for street outreach we're expected to kind of hand off to other agencies when it comes to 
once we get them connected to the shelters or the hotel or whatever it is. Um, but it doesn't work that way because <laughs> they're always calling and saying, hey, Miss Wendy, just tell Webb and Butler that I got housed. Like they're really proud of the fact that they're moving forward and they want us to know. Um, so that's always really sweet when I get those phone calls. Mm. Mm. What is, so there's, uh, you know, getting them onto the list or just getting them to a hotel or something like that. But what is that ideal outcome when you're working with someone who's homeless? I mean, from the streets to the list, to the hotel, like what's that, man, this is what we're always shooting for right here. And that, that's, that is so clear to me. So it's not much just that they will go and access services long enough to where they can, um, see uh, even little bit of light at the end of the tunnel, get into that housing and get that job so that they can so that they can pay their rent. And I think that's all I want to see. Like I don't all the rest, school, a big job, a big car, like I'm not, I don't, I just want to see you be able to do more for yourself than what you're doing now. And it's a long road and they get impatient. So if they can just make it to that point to where they actually can can walk through that process of rebuilding, now they know how to do it. If, in fact, something happens to where they find themselves homeless again, now they have that experience, um, whereas they didn't before. Mm, that makes sense. I mean, I, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but I know there's a bunch of data that talks about how the number one thing is just getting in a house, you know, and once you're there, other things can start coming after that. But that is the crucial factor is getting them, getting them in a place of their own where they, where they feel stable. Um, and and that's important. Either, so like for the PSH clients, I think um, some of them have disabilities that are so debilitating that um, in one way or another, that the best we could hope for them would be, to get on disability and maybe get on section eight housing, you know, mm. so that they're, they're in a, a situation where their housing is not always being, being in detriment, you know, um, because of their ability, not ability to, to work or, or get income. But for rapid rehousing clients, um, the expectation is that they will be able to work. And so, seeing them be able to get their IDs and get out there and, and just even get a job and keep it for a month is, is major because that means that they can do it. Um, now, do they go back to homelessness from that point? Yeah, they do. Because the real work starts once they get into housing. A lot of them want to get into housing and then of course they go, right? Mm -hmm. But we can't rest on our laurels because that three to six months will be up quick. And um, we want you to be ready for when that happens. So take a week, take a big nap, but then it's time to get up and get working. <laughs> yeah. Having experienced homelessness yourself and then obviously working with the homeless the way you do all the time now, just play Mythbusters for me for a second. What is one big myth about homelessness that you wish you could debunk for everybody? That, so you know how you'll, I don't know, I hear this a lot. Dude, just get a job. 
Like mm. if you see someone on the corner holding up a sign, just get a job. Um, the, the myth that, that it's, it's about just getting a job or just doing the right thing or just not being lazy like that. That's not what it is. Um, it's more about your spirit. Do you, something traumatic happens to you and you become homeless and you, you, for whatever reason or another, whether it's a physical disability, an emotional, mental, or, or whatever, uh, an addiction, you don't have the ability to bounce back to the point that some people do. Because truly, as we just seen in this pandemic, people become homeless and without a job every day. Mm -hmm. But some of them have a, an ability to bounce back and some do not, right? And just knowing that with each passing year of living outside in the elements and, and constantly being under that stress, that does a number on your, on your physical health, on your mental health, on your spiritual health. And so with each passing year that goes by, you're being sucked further and further down. Uh, and so just for people to be more aware, um, if, if they're not aware, to be more aware of, of what's really going on. Mm. I think your own story is such a testament to the fact that it is possible for people to get back on their feet and, and to get, have, have a life again, do what you're doing right now. When it comes to the people that you've worked with, what is just one of your favorite success stories where you've, you've seen what happened to you happen for someone else? So that we met this couple um, and they had been experiencing homelessness in Denton, you know, kind of a lot. Um, and they reached out for help and they came in, they did, they came in, they did all the stuff they were supposed to do. Um, they got, they, they had been locked up during the pandemic. So when they got out, they had three stimulus checks each coming to them. And I told them, I said, now, if I were you, I would, you know, put that stuff in the bank. And, and that's what they did. And they were taken from the street to a hotel, to a different hotel that was longer term stay, connected with a housing case manager and house within a month. And wow. they came for food instead of using that money to buy food. They came for food instead of using that money to, to buy Ubers. They used the bus pass that we gave them. And both of them have jobs and they're in their own apartment. And that, that, was, that was neat to see that. Um, now, I think that COVID has brought us a lot more uh, resources than we've had here before. And so that, that would be, I would say that even if we didn't have the resource we have for COVID with this couple, they were ready. They were ready to accept help because that's one thing I will stress is you can't do it by yourself and you don't need to. Because you just have to be willing to accept help. Like, I feel like 
in my walk back, I probably had four or five pillars holding me up at e any given time. Like I couldn't stand up on my own and I couldn't make decisions on my own that were worth, worth a crap. You know, <laughs> my decision-making was kind of off and I had to be willing to let other people who I trusted help me make better decisions. And so this couple was willing to, to do some of the things that turned out later to be really good. And so they're successful today. And that that's, that's a success story that I'm, I'm really, um, I'm proud to say that I witnessed. Mm, I love that. Homelessness, I would say is probably the most visible need to the common person in Denton. I, I hear about homelessness all the time. And uh, I, I, for me, I would say it's the number one thing I have people asking me about just working at Served In of how can I help the homeless? How can I help? How can I help? What would you say is one of the hot team's biggest needs right now, for, just from the community for, for helping the homeless? Well, I think access to health care um, is it indigent health care. Um, we have a shelter that's going to open soon that will be able to take the need, but being able to, to have long-term shelter immediately, because right now the capacity of our shelters is small. Um, Salvation Army, you go five days and then for 14 days, unless, unless you're in their enhanced shelter program. But I mean, it's just because the capacity is small. They may have to go after five days and wait 14. And then our other shelter is open, I think Monday through Friday, closed Saturday and Sunday. So if you think about it, how does one get on their feet that way? <clears throat> how, what does one do on Saturday and Sunday? Um, how do you show up for work on Monday clean and rested if you've been subjected to non-shelter for two days? Um, that would be hard. So I think that, um, but for hot team, I think sometimes what we see is we have to get someone out right now because there may be some danger. We have to get them out right now, like right now. It can't be tomorrow. Um, we, we need to be able to put people in hotels and we need to be able to place them in different places, in different hotels. Because, because of the drug addiction and the different just relationship issues, it's, it's not, I, I don't think that in some cases they thrive well together. I think sometimes if you can get them away from that and start introducing different things to them, you can work with them better. So just the ability to be able to take someone off the street and put them into a temporary shelter place like a hotel somewhere and sort of, sort of help get their immediate needs right then is something that we're lacking. Mm -hmm. 
man, well, this is, this has been a great conversation, Wendy. I appreciate you coming on. This is, like I said, I think this is one of the bigger issues that people know about that people see all the time. And you guys are doing a great job. You hot team, uh, everyone else. I know there's a lot of people working on this in our, in our community. And I just want to thank you for doing what you do and for coming on and sharing with us about it today. Thank you, Ian. My pleasure. Wow, what a remarkable story of someone who experienced homelessness themselves and then when they were back up on their feet and able to, turned right around and started helping the homeless themselves. I mean, that's amazing. And those types of stories always inspire me. The ones who went through something hard and on the other side, help those who are going through what they went through. I love that. And so I just want to say thank you to Wendy again for coming on and speaking with us today about this. It's a big issue and the hot team and other organizations are doing a great job. If you want to learn more about Serve Denton and what we do, Wendy is actually on our campus. She also works with Giving Hope, one of our partners. And um, if you want to learn more about what we do, you can go to our website, servedenton.org to just find out how we make it easy for people to find help. And if you found this conversation helpful in any way yourself, share it on social media or with a friend or family member or someone who's passionate about this issue. Um, I think there's a lot of people out there who really care about this as they should. And so share it with them. Next week, we'll be back with another great conversation for you. But until then, as always, thank you for listening. And I will see you next week.